Thank you, choir. What a great morning of worship it's already been. I feel like now the sermon uh, has already been preached. Uh, Oksana, thank you so much for being here today and for sharing your story with us this morning. What a powerful testimony. Uh, I I feel like we could just go home, right? (laughs) I got a little something to say before we go, okay? Uh, I hope it's worth you staying for a little bit before we we leave, but uh, thank you, choir. That was beautiful, and what a a great call to be the church, to arise and, and be the church, and then the world will know us by our love for each other, by our love for God, and by our love for the world that God also so loved so much that he sent his only son to die for our sins and to rescue this fallen world. So this morning we're continuing our series on being the church. And I'm really excited about this series because I love talking about church. I love churches. I've grown up in church and I've trained for church work and I've always worked in a church and I love church people. This is such a welcome time for me on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights when we get to gather with the people of God. I really, truly love God's people and God's church. And it's also an exciting time in the life of Woodmont. Richard was telling me how he was talking with the choir on Wednesday night and saying, this is a great season. We've just looked back and celebrated 75 years of ministry at Woodmont, but now we're looking forward completely. It's all about this new chapter, and we're all forward-looking together about the next 75 years and what God's going to do in the future of Woodmont. Isn't that a great time in the life of our church now? And last week, we, we kicked off the series by talking about how we as God's people are the chosen family of God now, that on this side of the cross, that the church, Christians, are the special covenantal family of God, that before the cross, it was the Israelites, but now the New Testament has made it clear that the church now are the heirs of Abraham, that we've been grafted into the promised covenant people. And we talked about how God blessed Abraham and revealed part of his plan to bless all the nations through Abraham's family. God has a plan to bring good news, the gospel, Paul says in Galatians, to the world, and he's doing it through this special covenantal people. And the New Testament makes clear that that's us now on this side of the cross. I was talking with Carlton Carter. He said, I didn't know where you were going with that Genesis 12 text and being the church, but it made sense on the back end. I'm glad he he said it made sense on the the back end. Finally, we got around to, we are the special family of God now who are to be the the covenant promised people. And we ended with a challenge to to not just hoard all the blessings that God gives us, these amazing uh, ways that he's adopted us. Thank you, Oksana, for illustrating adoption. He's adopted us into his family. He's made us right with him by the blood of Jesus. And he hasn't just poured these things into us so that we could hoard them like a bowl, right? We said that we were supposed to live like a sieve, right? Where we allow God's blessings to flow through us. That we serve as a conduit of God's blessing to the world. He pours them out into us and we allow them to go through us and into the rest of the world. Mark Anderson, who sings in the choir, he's, he's brilliant always, and he emailed me and said, a catchphrase came to my mind, don't roll like a bowl, live like a sieve. <laughs> Isn't that great? <laughs> we need to make shirts or something, that mugs, or we could figure something out. Don't roll like a bowl, live like a sieve. I pray that today our, our understanding of what the church is and who we are to be is further increased as we talked about uh, last week, what it is to be the church. May we continue in that this morning. In 2005, the 
late night talk show host Stephen Colbert, the comedian Stephen Colbert, invented a word and he used it for a segment on his show. Do you know what the word is? Have you heard this? Do you know what the word was? Truthiness. Truthiness. He said truthiness is like true-ish. And he was using this word to make fun of politicians that were more concerned with what their own agenda was than the actual facts. They were like, well, it's, you know, I'm very truthiness person, you know, true-ish. And this word, it was a funny segment, and the New York Times picked up on it, and they ended up writing an article about truthiness because it was true that a lot of politicians seem to value truthiness over truth. And not that they do that today or anything. And <laughs> the New York Times wrote this article and it was picked up by a few more media outlets. And the, the, the word truthiness became part of the vernacular, actually. And Merriam-Webster in 2006 named truthiness the word of the year. They've added it to the dictionary now, all thanks to Stephen Colbert and this made-up word that he came up with. Well, today we're talking about another made-up word. We're talking about a word that didn't exist until about 30 years ago or so. We're talking about a word that's not even in the Bible, okay? But I would contend that the ideas behind this word are found on every page of Scripture that's fundamental to what it means to be the church. Some of you have already heard this word missional already. Trey mentioned it in his prayer this morning. Missional is a buzzword. It's everywhere these days. And if you do any church work or church study, you hear this word missional a lot. One third of my program I'm in at Lipscomb is dedicated to missional theology. A lot of churches, even in this area, have staff members like minister of missional development or pastor for missional movement or something like that. You, you hear this word all the time now in churches. There are institutes, there's journals, there's endowed chairs, there are academic programs of study like my own that all include this word missional. When you Google missional, the top two searches that it suggests for you are missional motherhood and missional wear. <laughs> Even the clothes we wear can be missional, right, Sarah? We had this conversation today in the lobby. Um, I read one article in Christianity Today that referenced missional communities, missional leaders, missional worship. And then it went so far as to talk about missional seating and missional coffee. Yes, even the coffee we drink can and should, I would argue, be missional. So what does it mean? Well, the problem with this word is that scholars and pastors and preachers all disagree on what this word means and tend to use it in ways that just want to talk about what they're talking about, right? So what we got to understand is, is when we talk about missional, we're not talking about missions, okay? You may say, well, I, you know, I know what missional means because we have mission trips and we do missions. We have a missions committee here. We give to our denominational missionary agencies, right? But that's not what I'm talking about this morning. When I'm referencing missional for the church today, I'm talking about something much larger, much more comprehensive, much more inclusive than just a program of missions. To be missional, when I am talking about it, means to be fully engaged 24-7 in the mission, not of the church, but in the mission of God, the Missio Dei. That's what it means to be missional, to participate fully in every aspect of your life in the mission 
of God, of what God's up to. It means to actively and intentionally seek to discern what God is doing, what he's seeking to accomplish, and then to join him in that. I know several of you have done the Henry Blackaby study, Experiencing God. It's all about what is God up to and how can we join him in that work. That is missional. Blackaby never used that term, but that's exactly what we're talking about. And we're not left to try to figure out on our own what God is up to. We're given the written revelation of his word that gives us some answers on how we can join with him because we know what he's up to. Ephesians 1, 9 and 10 is one of my all-time favorite passages in the whole Bible. We talked about it a, a few weeks ago in Simple Worship. And Paul, in the first part of Ephesians, is listing all these amazing blessings that we talked about God has poured into us. He promised Abraham he would bless his family, and he has indeed blessed us. We've been adopted. We've been redeemed and bought by the blood of Christ. God has poured all these amazing blessings into us so that we will be a blessing, right? Genesis 12, 3, so that we will be a blessing. But he's done these things, and then he's done one other thing, Ephesians 1 says. Starting in verse 9, he says, finally, that God has now made known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. God has revealed to us what his plan is. He's made known to us his purposes, which he set forth in Christ at just the right time. He's made known to us what his plan is. Have you ever been on a sports team or or had a, a boss at work or something who was leading you and didn't have a plan? Have you ever been a part of something like that? It's so frustrating, isn't it? Because nothing gets done, nothing gets accomplished without a plan. Or maybe you've had a a leader who was so insecure that they wouldn't let you in on what the plan was. Just trust me, I I got it. I'll, I'll, I'll do it, okay? You don't need to know the plan, just obey, right? God is not that kind of leader. God has given us his plan. And what is that plan? To unite all things back unto himself. So what does that, that mean exactly? Why do we have to unite all things back to God? Why, what, what, at what point did God lose all things? At what point did things become disunited from God? That's what this implies. If God is about the work of uniting things back into himself, at what point did it all go wrong? Well, again, we look at Genesis for the answers to this question. We know that before all time, God had a plan. In his sovereign power and his perfect goodness... He had a plan to create the cosmos and he made this perfect creation and he put this man and woman as the crown of creation made in his own image in the center of that good creation and he stepped back and he pronounced it very good. But then in Genesis 3, it all goes haywire. Adam and Eve disobey. They eat of the the one tree that they're not supposed to and immediately the cosmos is plunged into death and darkness and decay for the first time. Adam and Eve start to feel shame. They start lying. They they start shifting blame to each other and to the serpent. The animals start attacking each other. The the plants sprout thorns and they become, they start dying. Death enters the world when sin enters the world in Genesis 3. It all goes haywire. Ever since that turning point, 
God's been about the work of bringing it all back unto himself, right? This is the work that God is doing. He's always been about the business of redeeming, of restoring, of recreating, of reversing, of renewing, and reconciling. That's the work that God is doing. This is what we're talking about when we talk about the mission of God. To be missional means to participate in this work that God is doing of uniting things across the cosmos back to himself. And thanks to the Bible, we know how to do that, to be the church. That's what we're told. This changes everything for churches, right? This changes how we do things, how we exist as church. Ed Stetzer, he's the former head of Lifeway Research, says missional means then that the mission is not therefore primarily an activity of the church, but an attribute of God. Missions isn't something the church does. Mission is an attribute of who God is. Mission is a movement of God to the world. The church being the instrument for that mission. There is church because there is mission, not vice versa. Wow. Think about that for a second. It's, it's not that the, the church has a mission, it's that the mission has a church. That's a totally fundamental shift in the way we often think about missions, isn't it? This is what I think it means to be the church. I even read one missiologist who says we get it wrong with the Bible even. We, we look to the Bible to see what the mission is. We just did that, sort of. But really, the mission gives us the Bible, right? Because if God wants to redeem the world through us, he gives us his written revelation as a great help in that process, doesn't he? It's not that the church has a mission. It's that the mission has a church, and that church has been given a Bible by the mission. Isn't that, it changes everything. Do you see what we're saying? And this is not a new thing, okay? This is not some new trend in, in church theology. Seeing the mission of God as central to the whole biblical story has always been what Jesus taught. Look at Mark 16, 15. It'll be on the screens here. After the risen Christ appears to his disciples, he gives them this charge. He says, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. He doesn't say, go preach it to some people. He says, go preach the gospel to creation. Why does Jesus say that? Most of us tend to think of the gospel as the good news that Jesus died for my sins and now I can go to heaven, right? But that's a really narrow and limited view of the gospel. The gospel is so much bigger than that. The good news is so much greater than that. This is why Paul talks about in Romans 8, creation longing to be set free from its bondage. He says, for we know that, that until now that, that all of creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth. This changes everything, right? This means now that to live in a missional way takes a whole new kind of intentional approach to everything we do. The way we eat, the, the clothes we wear, the friends we choose, the places we go. It changes all of that. Matt Chandler, who's a pastor in Dallas, he writes, this understanding of missional is a radical call to purposeful living and intentionality. It means that our lives are no longer lived for the sake of self, but rather for the good of others and to the glory of God, ultimately. This might mean that we go to the same Starbucks to form relationships there day in and day out. 
It may mean that we go to the gym now and instead of putting our earbuds in, we don't because we want to make relationships with people there. Chandler says it may mean that you play in the front yard with your kids instead of the backyard in order to be available to your neighbors. Do you see how this changes things, this approach? His church, missional, is one of their core values. And he identifies two big reasons why this concept is kind of a tough pill for the church to swallow often. The, the, the first thing he says is that we tend to think of ministers as professionals who do that stuff, right? Not lay people. John Piper wrote a great book called Brothers, We Are Not Professionals, meant for pastors, right? We are not professionals. The Bible never makes this distinction between pastors and lay people, ministers. I don't need to go work with the youth because we pay Trey to do that. No, it takes a village. It takes all of us to invest in the lives of young people. The Bible doesn't make this dichotomy between lay people and ministers ever. We're all to be ministers in the church, right? Every one of you in your context has a ministry at your home, at your work, at your school, at your uh, recreation, whatever you do, you have a ministry there. The second reason is, is that in the late 18th, uh, 1800s and early 1900s, this new theology came about called the social gospel. And theologians said, oh, the gospel is all about helping the poor. It's all about reducing poverty and justice. That's what it is. And evangelicals ran from that. We swung so far to the other side and said, no, it's about saving souls. And we tend to reduce people to disembodied spirits, right? Just get their soul saved and the rest doesn't matter. Well, we need to recover a biblical theology that sees people holistically as mind, body, and soul, right? We are all made in those ways. And to see anyone as other than that is to demean the image of God in them. And I'd add a third reason why it's hard excuse me, to dive into missional living because it's hard, okay? That's why it's really difficult. It's costly to live this way, isn't it? I like to listen to my earbuds at the gym. Well, you have to give up some things in order to live intentionally. I like to wear fancy clothes. Well, do you know where those clothes are coming from and who's making them? Living missionally takes a little bit of effort and it can end up costing you everything. But the truth is that's a better way to live, isn't it? Jesus says in Matthew 10, 39, whoever finds his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Once we live intentionally the way God meant for us to live, then we truly begin to thrive in the way that God made us to live as a conduit of blessing to the world. Okay, let's look again at John 17. Most Christians read this passage and they think, oh, it says, be in the world, but not of the world. And that means that we should just bunker down here in the church and insulate ourselves from the world so none of that ickiness gets inside here. We'll just hunker down as a holy huddle. Have you heard that before? Holy huddle? That's not at all what this is saying. If you read this text clearly, it doesn't say, be in the world, but not of the world. In fact, that phrase is never found in Scripture. This text says, we are not of the world, but we're sent into the world. Read it again, verse 14. Jesus prays over his disciples, Father, I've given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. The new humanity is different from the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world. That's what we want. We want to escape. That's not what Jesus does. But that you keep them from the evil one. We're not promised to be spared the hardships, but we are promised to be spared the evil that's in those hardships. Do you understand? 
And then verse 16, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in the truth. It's not in, but not of. It's not of, but sent. Does that make sense? We're not of the world, but we are sent into the world to be a blessing to it. We're here for a reason. We're saved for a reason. We're blessed for a reason. Each one of us has unique gifts and callings and abilities to minister in the context that we find ourselves in daily. Will you answer that call? Will you seek to discern what God is doing in your life and how you can join him in it? Will you think missionally about your breakfast? Will you think missionally about the people that you meet and interact with? Will you think missionally about the way you raise your children? Will you answer that call today? Maybe there's some reconciliation that needs to go on in your family. Maybe you need to make that phone call to your brother, your sister, your father, your mother today. Maybe there's that neighbor who you've never spoken to. Maybe it's time to go ahead and take them a plate of cookies and get to know them. Maybe us as a church, as Woodmont, needs to think about how can we be a truly missional church? How can we be a blessing to Green Hills and Nashville and for the world? How can we bless others in all that we do? What a great example this morning of having Oksana here with us today. We can be a blessing to kids in an orphanage just by packing a shoebox or tin. I also saw some pictures this week from Habitat for Humanity, our build, seeing Rukia's face, this Muslim lady that we went and built a house for, the gratitude on her face was overwhelming. We were a blessing to her. Do you have any idea how many retirees are in this church who do the feeding program every Tuesday from 10 to 12 that feed hungry people? Or that do burrow bags on Thursdays, take them to Hillsborough High School to feed food insecure families for the weekend? This church is not a church of resort country club Christians. This church is on mission. This church is doing the work of God in this town and around the world. They're making a difference. They're pushing back the darkness. They're helping our community look a little more like heaven. We're bringing the kingdom here where God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Whatever decision you need to make this morning, this is the time to do so. Maybe you realize that you've been living for yourself and you're miserable because that's a miserable way to live. Don't roll like a bowl. Live like a sieve. When you leave here today, how is it that you can bless others? Maybe you need to let go of all the blessings you've been hoarding for yourself today and share them with others. And in doing so, truly live. Truly find your life. And maybe you need to join in what Woodmont's doing. Maybe you've just been sitting back in the pew every Sunday and you don't contribute your time, talent, and treasure to this church. That's not what church is. For us to be the church, it takes serving, pouring out into others what God has poured into us. That's what it means to be the church. Whatever decision you need to make at this time, let's stand, let's sing. I pray you will make that decision for him today.